Uh, most of you know that uh, I was somewhat of a church kid. Uh, we went to church on kind of a semi-regular basis and, uh, and all of that. And I'm sure that at one point or another that I had heard something about, uh, about grace. And just to set the tone for things this morning, I want to give you a definition, the best definition I've been able to come up with as far as this Greek word that we translate as grace. And it just simply means this, totally, absolutely, completely unmerited favor that is granted. In other words, if you get something because you deserve it or because you earn it, then that's not grace. When you're getting grace, you're getting something that you have not earned. You do not deserve it at all. But nonetheless, it is being granted to you. Amazing grace. What sweet a sound. It should be one of those words that we talk a lot about. And I hope that, that, you, that as we've been here all these years at Springs Presbyterian Church, that grace is something that we do talk a lot about. Remember last week we, we talked about sola scriptura, that one of the focal points of the Reformation was scripture only, that, 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 that it carries the authority of God and all that we need to know about everything we must glean from the word of God and not from other people. And what makes sense to our sinful human nature. And just remember all these other four things. We're going to be talking about grace and we're going to be talking about faith today. And then next week we're going to be talking about sola Christos and sola Dea Gloria. But those last four, these two we're going to be talking about today and the two next week, they are all very much tied to the whole idea that, that, this, that it's the scriptures alone that bring us our understanding of things and the manner in which we're supposed to apply those things which we know. I don't know if we still have any around. I would imagine there's some stuck away somewhere, but we used to have bumper stickers for Springs Presbyterian Church. And do you know what was on the bumper sticker? Does anybody remember? Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, and and when it came time to do that, we, we just kind of followed after some other churches we'd seen doing that. We're trying to get our name out in the public a little bit more, and, and we used to give them away, and people would take them. I don't think bumper stickers are that popular anymore. I don't have any on my truck. I don't have any, and I don't really want any. Uh, and those kinds of things. But, but I do know that there have been times when that particular bumper sticker has really caused some conversations that have taken place between people because someone's seen the bumper sticker and wanted to know what it meant and, uh, and things like that. So I encourage you, if there's still any around, if you're into bumper stickers, uh, put one on your car maybe. Uh, and you may have some conversations as a result of it. Uh, but I just want to challenge us with the idea this morning that, uh, that grace alone is not just an additional aspect or a doctrine of Christianity. That there's a sense in which grace is the doctrine upon which everything else is built. In other words, I want you to look upon grace as a foundation stone, not just kind of a little thing that's added on the side as being a peripheral kind of thing. It should be central to our understanding of who we are and why we do what we do more than anything else. 
And I just want to remind us this morning that if you are a believer, you are a believer for one reason, and that is because God is gracious. It's not because you're better. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've earned it in any way, shape, or form. It is because God is a gracious God, and he has chosen to grant grace to you. We're talking about the Reformation over these last few weeks. And, and one of the things that, that came to the surface there was this. There was a re-emphasis upon grace because grace had really fallen away from the landscape almost completely in the 16th century church. It wasn't something that people talked about. It probably wasn't something that most people knew anything about. Unfortunately, of Christianity had taken more of an approach at that point that you're saved by doing your own good works. And very often those works were particular works that were stipulated by the church itself. So where's the church today in regard to grace? I would say to you that there are many circles in the church today where it's really fallen out of vogue to tell you much about grace. The church that I grew up in, I'm not sure that I ever, I don't ever remember hearing about grace one single time when I was a kid. It doesn't mean it wasn't spoken. I'm just telling you, I never heard it. I knew nothing about it. And it was only when I became a believer, a true believer, when I was in my, my 30s that I began to understand how precious grace really is. It means everything. What Christians typically believe in regard to grace today is this is that God demonstrated his grace in the sending of his son into the world, that he would live and he would die and he would be resurrected for the purpose that anyone then from that point on, according to their own free will, could choose to believe in Jesus or not. And that was God being gracious, was by providing the means or the pathway to salvation. But I want you to say this to you this morning. This is not at all what Paul is teaching here. What he's teaching us here is something even more fundamental than that, and that is the real sense of grace is this, is that those who believe, believe for one reason, because of the grace of God. And that is it. We have no ground for boasting. It's nothing special at us. And when we look at ourselves, really probably one of the questions we should ask ourselves is, why me? Not having the idea that, well, God got a really good deal with me. If, if that's you, then let me just say you don't really know yourself very well. You haven't looked at much at your sinful nature and etc. But we're all in the same boat together. None of us is deserving of God's favor at all. The Bible says that we're in bondage. Our will is in bondage to sin. That we are sinners by nature. And if that is going to change, it's going to take the power of God to do it. And this is where grace comes in. Every person 
that has ever come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, every person that has ever been truly saved has been saved by God's grace and by God's grace only. There is a fear that is very often almost propagated by pastors about in regard to talking about grace. And the fear is this, is that people understand that they're saved by grace, then they're not going to be very motivated to do much of anything. They're not going to be concerned about evangelism. They're not going to be concerned about worship. They're not going to be concerned about this, that, or the other because they're saved by grace and by grace only. And because of that, they are, they are saved completely, absolutely. So it really doesn't matter what you do in your life. There's a fear of talking about grace because there's a fear that it will demotivate people. And I can say that as a pastor. That entirely, my friends, is entirely wrong. It is absolutely wrong. Because if you really understand grace, you will be motivated more, not less. You see, when you come, it comes down to religion, and this is true for every religion but Christianity. And let me tell you, it's very easy to make Christianity and just another, a, another religion that sounds very much like everything else. See, in religion, obedience is motivated by fear. But in Christianity, it is motivated by gratitude, thankfulness, not for what I've done, but for what God has done for me. In other words, it's a desire not to, not to pay God back. Or not, not to, to do good things for God for the reason that it's going to earn me brownie points up in heaven. God's really going to love me for this when you've thought that before in your life. I know I have. Look what I did. Oh, he's really going to love me for this one. And that's not to say that it's not important for us to do things. It is important for us to do things. It's important for us to be evangelistic. It's important for us to be mercy-related. It's important for us to be involved in worship, and it's important for us to be involved in the ministries of the church, and important for us to do this and that and the other. But the reason for it, guys, is not because we're in fear of losing something or not because we, we do it begrudgingly because we have to do it. But it all has to do with attitude. And that's an attitude of appreciation for what God has done for me. I don't know how much you know about Tim Keller, but he's one of the ministers I told you that very often I, I, I watch preaching on on the, the Internet and I listen to sermons, several sermons every week. 
Uh, and Tim Keller is one of my favorite people, and one of the things I love about him, he never seems to get too excited about anything. He just he talks, but he talks very gently and softly all the time. Even when he, he's impassioned about something, you never see Tim Keller hollering at anybody, and I wish he could say that about me, but, but I just love the way he preaches because we have this idea that a preacher is someone that gets up there and they just bellow, they yell, they scream. Kind of like I'm doing right now. But let me tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. But he, he touches my heart as someone who really understands grace. And, and, and in one of his books, he writes about one of his, uh, one of his parishioners who had been taught, about, taught works-based religion their whole lifetime, that you earn your way, you do this, and this is a reward you get for it, or you do that, and God compensates you for it. And he said it, things really came home for him when one of his parishioners who had never heard anything about grace had come to the church and sat under his preaching for a while. And, and, and then they came to him one day and they said, this is unbelievable. Because what I believed always before was this, is if I did something, then, then, I, then that God was bound to reward me for doing it. But at the same time, there were limits to what he could ask of me. But now you've spoiled all that for me. Because I understand now that I'm saved by grace and grace alone. And because that is true, that God can expect anything of me and everything of me. Not less. Far more. And I just want to remind all of us this morning that God has very high expectations for his children. Every one of them. See, true grace motivates more, not less. We're told here that we're saved by grace, saved by grace through faith. Saved from what? Well, there was a young lady in the church years and years ago. She, was, she had some uh, learning issues and some other things. We loved her. She was a dear sister in the Lord. Some of us still have some contact with her. Uh, but I'll never forget when she came for her membership interview. She, she went to the, the membership class, and she came for her interview uh, and all of that. And we were probing her and talking to her a little bit about it. And we basically you know, asked her if she was heaven-bound, and she said yes, and uh, and, and we said, well, why? You know, and we're better to say, because, you know, I trust in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and my Savior, and, 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 and whatever. She's because I don't want to go to that other place. In other words, I don't want to go to hell. And we don't think about it sometimes, but there are some times when God uses that to actually scare people into heaven. Let them see a little bit of what they have waiting for them apart from it, and it's enough sometimes to scare people into heaven. But sometimes I think we approach this whole thing from a wrong perspective because that's what we think about. We're saved from what rather than 
thinking what we're saved for. So I want to challenge us more, not to think so much about what we're saved from, but challenge us to, to think more about what we are saved for. And that is to be the children of God. The very beginning of time, when God created the heavens and the earth, if you're a believer, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life on that day. And God has had a purpose for you from the very beginning of time. And that is that he would save you for himself. Years ago, I, had, I met a young man and my father, it was, it was, he was the son of one of the guys my dad worked with. And I went to a meeting with my father and... Uh, one of the other, he was the manager at Belk Lindsay, one of the other managers brought their son. And, but before we even got there, my dad told me, you need to understand this kid's adopted. And I'm thinking, well, why would you even tell me that? What difference does that make? But anyway, when we, when we started playing, for some reason, he brought it up. And he told me the story. He said he'd gone to school and there were some kids that were making fun of him because he was adopted. And so he went home, you know, he was in tears and this, that, and the other. And, and his father sat down with him and consoled him. And he said, son, you need to understand something. All those other parents, when they have kids, they're stuck with what they get. You know, whatever comes out, it's yours. Boy or girl, you're in a sense or stuck with it. Whoever, whatever, you know. He said, you need to understand something. There are a lot of kids we could have adopted. But we chose you. We wanted you for our son. Scripture enlightens us to the fact that this is what being a Christian is, is being adopted into the family of God, becoming a son of God. Why? And this is what Paul is telling us here. Because he chose you. He wanted you to be his son. Or he wanted you as his daughter. And he's done everything he's had to do to make that a reality. Doesn't that change our perspective on things a little bit? What I'm telling you here, guys, is this, is adoption makes you more special, not less. So let's stop asking ourselves what God has saved us from and ask ourselves more often what God has actually saved us for. Saved by grace through faith. Well, anytime we talk about salvation, we always talk about faith, right? This is where you're going to find a lot of Christians are kind of divided amongst each other. And that is basically, where does faith come from? 
And, and this passage makes it very clear where the faith comes from because you need to say when it is a gift of God, it's talking about faith itself is a gift of God. God gives you faith. If you don't have faith, it's because God hasn't given to you. But if you do have it, it is because he has given you faith. He's given you faith to believe. Without it, you would have, well, let me just say, say this, that everyone has faith in something. But unless God gave you the faith to believe it, you would not receive and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is a gift that comes from him. I do a lot of reading. A lot of it has to do with science stuff and, and all of that. I was reading a book just recently. It's called Darwin's Doubt. It's a pretty academic book, and it's not necessarily one I would recommend for the casual reader and all that. It's about that. It's probably 800 pages long, and it's pretty thoughtful. It's not some book you're going to – it's not like a comic book. You're not going to zip right through it. But if you're interested in the fossil record and et cetera, then it's a really good book. Uh, it's a number one New York bestseller. Okay, uh, And what it has to do with is this. Is it's an argument for intelligent design. In other words, it's an argument from the fossil record that, that God is the very ex- best explanation of the fossil record itself. And you can understand that that goes very contrary to the typical thought in the scientific community today. But I, uh, as an adjunct at the college, I have to go to an orientation thing every August. And it's one of those things that's just boring as all get out. They're going over school policies and how this has changed and that's changed and how you have to do this and do that and and all of that. And so I always take a little reading material with me. (laughs) And uh, But don't do that in church. That's okay for me to do at the (laughs) meeting, but don't do that in church. But... uh, Anyway, I'd taken that book, and I had just had it sitting on the desk in front of me, and it was closed. I wasn't reading it, or uh, I just had it there in case I got too terribly bored, and I wasn't quite to that point yet. But uh, there, was a, there was a young lady there that I know that teaches. She's an adjunct there, too, and I've known her for a long time, and we just casually talk with each other in the hallway sometimes. And she used to be uh, an assistant to, to the faculty, and so... She did stuff for me on occasion and, and all that. So I've known her for a long time, and I've never really talked with her about my religion or Christianity or the gospel or anything like that. But anyway, we're sitting there, and she sees this book, and, I, and, I, and she said something about it. And I said, it's a really good book. You, really, you, ought, you ought to read it sometime. I said, it's, it's very thought-provoking. And I said, one of the big mistakes that we make is we typically read things that are written by people that we already agree with. And so we're never challenged intellectually to, to think about things. We're just, we're just, and we do that. When we pick out books very often, we're picking out books that are written by people that we know we already agree with before we even read them. But being intellectually challenged means more than that. It means sometimes being challenged by thoughts and perspectives coming from other directions. So I was telling her, I, I, I said, it'd be good for you. You might not agree with it. I said, you, you may not agree with it at all, but it, it, it was really very thought-provoking. And so she picked it up, and she started reading the back jacket, and she almost threw it at me. She couldn't get that book out of her hands quick enough. And I know the reason. 
And that's because she has some doubts about her science. But she doesn't want anybody to know it. And let me just say, this is true for every person who really is science-minded, who really has science, pure science, real science, not pseudoscience, but the real thing at heart. As I said last week, what we're finding more and more as we unfold the mysteries of this universe is that, that more and more we're, we're seeing the evidence screaming, there must in fact be a creator, there must in fact be a God, not the other way around. But let me tell you, that girl is afraid to read that book because she does not want to hear the other side. Because if she's intelligent at all, she sees the cracks and crevices in her approach already. Her faith is in science. She's not going to go anywhere that's going to, she's going to run any risk of losing that foundation stone. Pray for her. Her first name is Mackenzie. Faith is ultimately what each one of us places our hope and our trust in. The question is, is what our faith, oh gosh, are we placing our faith in something that really is worthy of having faith in or not? So where does your faith lie? Really? Look at your life. What did you spend your time doing this week? What does your checkbook look like? How much time have you spent reading the Bible? How much time have you spent in prayer? So where's your faith? I think a lot of us are still thinking we are those fundamentally good people. Now when judgment time comes, I've got enough good stuff to overcome whatever bad, little few bad things that are in my life. That's crazy thinking. we contemplate these things we should see our own sin more clearly and and, and the the sins of other people maybe less clearly there's a lot of sense in which we are our worst enemy when it comes to understanding the depth and the reality and the truth of God's grace how often do we want to just return the gospel back to something that we deserve or we've earned in some way Paul says here it's not by good works, and we understand this, that what he's talking about here is not by our own good works, that in fact our salvation is based upon good works, right? 
that they're the good works of Jesus Christ, not my good works, the works that he's done in my place, the works that he's done in my stead for me. I, I really believe this, that in a lot of circles of the church today, that people have taken faith itself and made it into a good work. In other words, how do I have faith? Well, I just, it's, it's, I just have it in, within me. I have the ability to have faith within me. And I have faith because I've tried hard to have faith. But just remember this. That what the scriptures tell us is this. Is if you have faith, you have been given a gift from God. He gave it to you. I don't like to be called a Calvinist. I don't think John Calvin would approve of it. Uh, I don't always agree with what Calvin says. But let me tell you, every time I preach a sermon, I always read what John Calvin has to say. I read what other people have to say, too. But I always read what John Calvin has to say. He's my primary commentator. Because he has a way of bringing certain things out in scriptures that if without it, I would probably pass right over those things. He was a man who truly loved the Lord. He truly loved the word of God. You know, a humble man. He was lifted into you know, a position of notoriety, not by his choice, but because God chose to use him and the other reformers in the way that he did. Sometimes I almost feel like I have to apologize to people that I have a reformed perspective on things. I was having a conversation a number of years ago. I used to be very active in the pastoral ministerial association here in Dunellen. But we finally gave it up when it got down. There was only one or two guys who even wanted to do it at all. And so we just kind of gave up on it. Uh, but there was one of them that grabbed on me all the time because I was a Calvinist. I was like, it was like looking down his nose at me. I'm one of those dirty, lousy Calvinists who believes that salvation is a work of God completely. He's the one who makes it all happen, every bit of it. The thing about it is, is he's probably, probably for every person in the church today who's reformed, there's probably nine who are not. In other words, for every person who believes that they're, they're saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. They're in the minority, the vast minority. But why do we believe it? Because we believe it because of sola scriptura, because this is what the scriptures teach. And you have all kinds of explanations of why your understanding can't be right. 
You hear people talking about man's free will all the time, that we all have this free will, that that any one of us, and there's an island of righteousness left in us, even though we're fallen in sin and we're dead in that sin as the Bible describes it, we're still able of ourselves without any help from God to choose to have faith in Jesus Christ or not. Isn't that what most of the Christians you know believe? But guys, it doesn't line up. It doesn't line up with the whole of what Scripture says. But anyway, I was catching flag from him one day, and there was another pastor there, Eddie Fulford. He's the, he's the pastor of the Methodist Church here in Dunellen. He and I are good friends. I haven't seen him in quite a while now, but I've known him for a long time. He sat in my office, and he and I have prayed together, and I've prayed in his office with him before. He knows that I'm reformed. He's never said one word. He's not reformed at all. He's as far away as you can get from it as you possibly can be, maybe, in some ways. But he's not. But one day, the three of us who were together, this one pastor that was always ragging on me, and Eddie was there, and the other pastor started ragging on me, and the other pastor looked at Eddie and he said, you know what? He looked at me and he said, Keith, weren't, weren't all Christians really reformed back in the, when this Reformation took place? Weren't, didn't everybody believe what you believe now? In other words, he took the question off of me, and he put it on the other guy. And it's not, why does Keith believe what he believes? You better believe what you believe and know why you believe it. It's amazing how far people have gotten off track. To the point they ostracize people who are only trying to be faithful to what the scriptures teach. It's pretty sad. I had another conversation with that same guy one day in my office about Romans 8. In his perspective, I, uh, we, 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 we talked. he told me what he thought. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds reasonable. But then I looked at him and said, well, what do you do with Romans 9, which comes right after? And you can't understand Romans 8 if you don't understand how Romans 9 fits in the picture. And there's no way that you can take Romans 9 and put it in that mold you just created. And let me tell you, it was like he had never even read Romans 9. You ever feel like you almost have to apologize for being reformed in the church today? It's pretty sad. Because the truth is this, is we've stayed anchored at our beginnings. It's the other folks that have drifted off track. Some of them have gone so far away, you can't even, even classify what they believe in practice as Christianity. They've given up on sola scriptura. They say things like the Bible contains the word of God, not that, that, that it is the word of God. In other words, that some of it is God's word, but some of it is the word of men that's been interjected there. Now what we have to do is go in there and pull out the stuff that man has put into it 
So we know what God's word really says. And you know what the first thing is that goes? The stuff that rubs people the wrong way. God would never say something like that. So he couldn't have said it, so out it goes. They're off on the slippery slope. Because once you make that decision, once you, you, you leave the idea that all of the Bible is the word of God, then you're off on that slippery slope because you can start throwing out anything and everything you want to at that point, and you're going to wind up with something that doesn't even look like Christianity. And God's done all of this for a reason, and that is that so no one has any room to boast. Nobody can go, nah, 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 I'm a Christian, you're not, because I earn my way, I deserve it, and you don't. We have no ground for boasting. At all. None. And do you understand? If God saved people any other way than he does, there would be ground for boasting. You understand? What I'm saying here, guys, is he does it the way he does it for a lot of reasons. And one of those is to break our boastfulness, to humble us. To put us where we really need to be. To give us the eyes that we really need to see. To give us the heart that we need to believe salvifically. Charles Spurgeon Great reform pastor he said one time this and this is not a direct quote this is a I don't remember exactly the words but it was something like this that if one stitch of our celestial garment depends upon what we do, then we are doomed. You understand the power of grace? Because what grace screams is God has done it, not you. God has done it, not you. God has done it, not you. Does that motivate you? Or does it demotivate you? If it demotivates you, maybe you need to do some thinking and some praying. One of the things that some of the older folks here, and I happen to be one of those older people now, is when, you know, the things were different when we were kids. You know, different, 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 different. And one of those things is appreciation. We were taught that you appreciated things when people did things for you. 
So how well are we living that when it comes to God? Does our life demonstrate appreciation? Really? It should. Anyway, we're moving on next week. Solo Christos and solo Deo Gloria.